Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every day I remember, you know, I would try to go to school and I'd have problems. I, I, I had a, a tree on the way to school called the throw-up tree. And if I made it past the throw-up tree, then I knew I was going to be okay that day. But many days I was leaning against it and I would get so worked up. I had the, the frame of my dad. I had, uh, you know, an athletic build. Um, I had my mom's sensitivity and, and, and fear. Um, so that, that combination was, uh, was interesting because people wouldn't think that of me when they met me. Or if you saw me on stage, you'd go, oh, he's alpha and he's got it all together. And it's like, no, I'm kind of a scared beta who's over here trying to, you know, make you believe that I've got my shit together. My mom used to come with me to a lot of those shows. She'd actually just, because she, she knew, she'd be like, I'll just go. We drive 11 hours from Boston to somewhere in upstate New York, get in the car, drive right home after because I was too anxious to actually stay anywhere that wasn't home. I remember I would get on uh, flights for like early gigs and I would, uh, I'd cry. I was so overwhelmed that I was leaving my family. I lost both my parents to cancer, same year, same nine months. And I was like, I got it, I'm good. It's just all about stand-up. If I just put it into the work and then it caught up to me. I used to sit with my therapist, I'd be like, honestly, like, what's wrong with me? You know, just tell me, give me like, when I leave the room, what do you write down in that little pad? I'm speaking to anybody who's kind of young and dealing with this. When you can be brutally honest about who you are, including your foibles, including the things that make you weak, including the things that make you special and cool and stand out. If you can really own all of those things, I kind of say like, that's when nobody can, if I can say fuck with you. Hey, this is Jose Ignacio Alfaro, producer of Are We Still Talking About This? You just heard excerpts from a mental health public service announcement that Jessica and Adam recorded with Dane Cook in 2018. Last week, Dane was kind enough to meet again to speak about anxiety, perseverance, comedy, the therapeutic power of authenticity, and ribbon dancing. Want more episodes of Are We Still Talking About This? Rate and subscribe on Acast, iTunes, or anywhere podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You, you're quite a svelte young actor. They're <laughs> tremendously effective. And to look at you now, you are now an incredibly large muscular man to, to paint a, a picture for those listening. So incredibly large. You are. You're a very muscular, muscular man. He's just giving you a compliment. Yeah. yeah he's saying yeah. you're buff. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, well, no. Oh, no. What, what did that mean? Where did that come across? I, I say I'm in the best shape of my entire week. Yeah. There you go. But, um, he, wasn't he was saying that you were in good shape. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. Oh, she's that. looking at me like I said something sometimes wrong. Sometimes Adam compliments me in a weird way. He's like, you look very nice today. I'll say it like as if I look shitty. Yeah, what was yesterday? Yeah. I have a gift. Let's recap that. yesterday, yeah, Adam. Sometimes they'll tell me, like, oh, look, yeah, you look good today. I'm like, ah, oh, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, this, we've had this conversation yeah. in marriage Constantly. counseling between my wife and I, too. Apparently, I can't ever <laughs> say anything to somebody and they, they think I'm fucking with them all the time. All um, right, let's 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 yeah. go back to um, the throw up tree. Yeah. Yeah. The throw up tree. Yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we did talk about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was with uh, my neighbor up the street, Chris. Yeah. And uh, he, because he would walk to schooled me from time to time. Uh, my house was on the way to Pierce School, where I went to elementary school, and I would wait and hope that one of my classmates that was nice to me would walk by, and then I'd walk with them. And that always got me going. If it was me by myself and I had to walk to school, I was mortified. It was so hard, and I hadn't learned how to use humor outside of my home as uh, the defense or the deflection. Yeah. So I was still just total introvert, Without the proper ability to um, fake it till I make it even. I just didn't have any of it. I, I just was like, a, I felt like a, a shell. And again, I, I felt so insignificant. But I did know that just through conversations with my mom, who is, was such a good friend and amazing mother, that I had purpose. I did feel like I had purpose. And I did feel like I could help other people with humor but also hopefully years later doing what we're doing now when I felt like I was at a place I could be introspective. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you were and that you would consider yourself an introvert because when I think of Dane Cook, even separating, sitting here with you, I think complete extrovert, I, th I mean complete opposite of what you're saying. It's, right. it's, it's quite surprising. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, when I take the stage, when I'm performing, it's it's just I always say um, it's so funny how every comedian different rigmarole for whatever it is, but it's waiting for me when I get there. It's not a put on. It's not a character I have to get amped for. It's as close to me as I had always hoped to get so that I could transition on and off stage without um, having to panic and think of, oh, I got to I got to be good. I got to be better than who I am. I wanted my performance to still have some showmanship but I wanted it to um, resonate a, a real presence and again takes a lot of years to do that you know if you're listening and you're a young performer I, I you know try to stress first thing I always tell people when they say oh, I want to be a, I, I say don't first of all don't take advice from comedians because 
as much as we'll tell you do this or do that, everybody's road is so entirely, deeply, significantly different that there's truly no right or wrong path to follow. But I will tell people, the closer you can get to being introspective and really finding out what makes you laugh and if that's political or absurdist or irreverent or corny or uh, improvisational, whatever that is, as long as it's your truth, then that's where you have to build from. That's That should be your very formative years early set. And I just actually wrote something to somebody who said, I'm not a writer, but I, I'm a performer. I said, well, there, there's Gary Gullman types. We just talked about Gary. And Gary's a prolific writer. He's a person that, you know, he, he, he talk about like dedicated scheduling, how he writes, the, the amount of words. You know, I kind of jokingly say the haiku of it all. You know, he knows exactly the real estate. Well, I wasn't a performer like that. I admired guys like him who could do that. And I tell young performers, you don't necessarily need to be the best writer. You can learn that as time goes on, but you do have to commit to being truthful with how you see the world or how you want the world to see you. If you start from there, then I think that you can, it's the makings of potentially a, a unique organic career. And yeah, so it's a, it's a long way from the throw up tree till today. I still drive by that tree from time to time when I visit my old stomping ground back in outside of Boston and Arlington. And I remember the kid who stood there being sick on many, many days, hyperventilating, beating myself up. Everyone's going to hate me. Nobody in school likes me. I'm never going to get picked for anything. And just savagely, mentally taking myself down a peg or two until some years later, I I realized joking around was ingratiating me with people. And that was like, that was learning like wizardry. <laughs> it was like taking, you know, uh, who I was and entering a new dimension. Wow. If I make somebody laugh, they, they like me. They want to, they want to be around me. It was great. It was a, a gift. Comedy was a gift. Do you remember your, I remember you were talking about your early memories of doing stand up. Um, what were what were those? There was like an open mic. It was it an open mic story or what was? Um, it was a small story room. Of, of your mother going with you to yes. gigs, which I think yeah, was. that one. A lot of gigs with my mom. Uh, open mics at Catch Rising Star in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where David Cross and company were doing uh, cross comedy. They used to call it, and so I would go and watch that, and I would watch the open mic nights, and it was from there that. I was too scared to actually sign up for the open mic, but I was in the crowd one night, but the, the third week I was there and they would pull the names randomly. What their, what their shtick was, was sign up the week before everybody who signs up, show up, bring a guest, but we're only going to pick like five of you. So it was a, like a bringer show where you may not perform. <laughs> um, and so I went, I went and, uh, it was the third week and the host got up on the stage and said, um, okay, up next. And he looked at his list and he said, Ernest Glenn, where's Ernest Glenn? I need Ernest Glenn. Nothing. Three seconds of absolute zero. My hand goes up in the air. He points at me. I remember he goes, his intro was, you're Ernest Glenn? I said, yeah. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from the fifth row, Ernest Glenn. And that was my first set ever in front of strangers, ever. But I was- Was your mom at that show? No, no. That was actually, nope. it, It randomly, and it's kind of interesting, and I maybe I guess it's, you know, symbolically- I, I was alone, which was hard for me. I went by myself because I loved watching these comedians and people be brave enough to get up there um, that I just happened to be by myself for that first performance. 
I mean, it's pretty, as Ernest Clint. Yeah, it's pretty gutsy to assume someone else's name. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, I, you know, I say to this day, like I would from time to time try to find Ernest Glenn, like uh, Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And I, hey, if he's listening, Ernest Glenn, thank you so much for not showing up because I never met an Ernest. It's such a unique name. I never yeah. met an Ernest Glenn years later or saw a guy. So maybe he just never showed. And you think about it, it's like this Ernest Glenn person wanted to be a performer had an opportunity didn't show up and set my career on course might I be so bold and suggest that your next album be titled Ernest Glenn <laughs> the the adventures of Ernest yeah. Glenn yes exactly <laughs> back to being Ernest yes that's good yeah yeah you go full Oscar and you Wilde can do some throwback and you can do some the early work the early work it's so funny somebody asked me the other day about a bit that i did 20 years ago and i was i was on stage i usually don't have people yelling out um old material i've always done a pretty good job at like you know i don't rehash i'm gonna move on to the next but this guy yelled something out i said i'm gonna stop i go i haven't heard that in i don't know what he yelled out i said i haven't heard that premise in 17 years he goes can you do it i go you could probably do it better than me <laughs> i said do you want to do it i'll give you the mic because i don't remember any of that um but it's flattering and at the same time it's like oh my goodness I i've been around for a minute <laughs> i consciously didn't say old material i just said earlier work yeah. because i know that sometimes material can evolve oh and... man two material from two weeks ago feels like old material to me i've actually had entire tours go by that at the end I've got an hour of flushed out, brand new, great material, and then I just shelve it, and I don't record it. So now I look back at some of the stuff I've done over the last three years, working on two hours of new material, and I'm like, oh wait, I have another hour as well, because I didn't do anything from the the Just for Laughs tour that I did. Or So it's 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 amazing. It's great to be so present that I can feel like I can move on from things relatively quickly and put my funny into something and, and then grow from it and go somewhere else. I often would think about your comedy, like your persona is much like a, a rock star. How would you describe your comedy now? Or how would you want like your, comedy, comedy. your comedy to be, to be described? If yeah. You, if you could choose what people were, were saying. Yeah. If I was a, um, uh, a comedy sommelier, the vintage of my my comedy stylings be. For me, one of the most important um, moments in, in comedy that I bared witness to very early on was Carlin, who had major impact on me. Uh, a storyteller more than just jokes, um, sound effects, animation, um, you know, the, the bravado, the swagger, but at the same time, poignancy, loved all that. But he did something that would impact my career and informs my career to this day. He had done the hippie dippy weatherman for many years. He was, he was really known for that. You know, that was like his claim to fame. And I'm sure it was very lucrative for him. And I'm sure that he did very well over 10 years with it. And then I saw this footage of Carlin where he went on to what I believe was The Tonight Show with, he walked out with a cardboard cutout, full life size, under his arm. And he put it up and it was, it was him as the hippy-dippy weatherman in the hat and the hair. And, and, but now he was looking like the Carlin that we would all know. And he starts his set on television which at the time that an, an average night then was like what 78 million people probably were watching on any given night and he put his arm around himself on the cardboard cutout and he said um 
A lot of you may know this guy. He's funny. He's done some crazy, funny, wacky stuff. But this guy, and then he took his own picture and he let it go and it fell out of frame. And he goes, he's gone. I'm George Carlin. Okay, let's start. Well, he, he killed it. He killed what he didn't feel like was representing what he was at that point. He risked everything. That's true artistry to then say, I'm, I'm in a metamorphosis in my life and I'm going to change. And you don't change with me, that's fine. Change when you're ready to change. But I'm changing right now. It impacted me as a person and a comedian to say, I never want to be afraid to change my mind and grow and admit I'm wrong maybe years later on something that I was misinformed or just cocksured about. Um, and as a performer where I'm at today, I've always wanted to, the energy is organic. That's always been there. I, I love, you know, you watch Chris Rock. He works out at the cellar. It's very low keys. Where, and then he, you know, like Chris Rock is there when he, when he steps, you know, into the, the big show. It's, it's an amazing dynamic to, to witness. And I've always felt like, oh, I want to continue to embrace the physicality and the, and the love of movement and the fluidity, but. I wanted to be more introspective. I wanted to really be able to add tools to the arsenal so that now when I'm up on stage, I can pull from so many things. And, and, and I think, and again, not to make it just a comedy one-on-one, but it, you know, once I was on a pretty good roll with my career, every year I would start off with a yearly challenge, um, something that I needed to implement in, in my act. I remember one year it was uh, verbiage. I didn't know enough words. I had to read more. I had to learn vernacular. I need to add more jargon so I can tell more vivid stories, painting verbal pictures. Because I'm saying fuck, fuck, fuck way too much. Fucking, fucking this and fucking, fucking. It was distracting from anything that was between it. That's still a word I appreciate and want to use, but I want to use it selectively to where I think it's going to have some some impact. Yeah, so. I was just saying the other night about that, there's a comic who I, I said to him, I said, you know, you don't have to say fuck all the time. I said, you have jokes. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, fuck. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> man. It is a nice little verbal stutter almost yeah. that you can just Once fire Once in a while, fuck there. here and here there, but every other joke. Right. I think it just makes people feels tune lazy. out. Right? It's like lazy writing. Right. You know? Yeah, if it's, I, I, I feel like if it's not part of the texture of the, the story or what you're trying to, you know, implementing your routine. So I, again, I would, I would just stress that, you know, you challenge yourself one year, 2011, January 1st, I said, I'm going to stand on stage. I'm going to plant my feet. I'm not going to move. No moving all year, one year, all from here Wow. and build up the other side. Cause I could do animation and I could, you know, I knew how to entertain people with uh, you know, bombastic enthusiasm, but I was like, oh, I want to use that, but I also want to be able to tell a story that's um, meaningful. And sometimes it's good to slow everything down to you know, the silence. One year it was about like watching Chappelle gr coming up in New York and saying he's so good at using those silent moments as a way to prepare for his next skit, message, whatever it was. He wasn't afraid to sit in that silence, and that took me a lot of years to finally realize so you can always be challenging yourself and what's great about being almost 30 years in and why i am excited about the tell it like it is tour and everything to come is seeing a performer 
at a high pedigree is really wonderful. And I know because I would go and watch some of my favorite performers, you know, 30 years, 40 years into their career or longer. For, you know, Jerry Lewis, 50, 60. When you watch someone seasoned, it's unlike anything else. You're witnessing somebody using all the different aspects and assets that they've implemented it's it's a great it's a great time right now to be performing it's pretty amazing that every year you you decided for yourself it was almost like you were handicapping yourself you're like how can i limit myself to improve these other elements of my my life that's one year was entirely improv uh i i love um jeff garland and people that would just go up and talk you know off the cuff you know most of it harlem williams on many given nights you never touched one piece of material i said well i have nights where i don't want to touch my material i have nights where i don't want to talk about anything that i've got talking about what do i do on those nights okay well i still gotta be steeped in a moment of uh, actuality and in in realness so one year i went up with nothing and i would just you know where are you from what do you do for a living and cultivate from there so that i carry is that 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 like that like frightens me just hearing you talk about it it's okay so we're talking about the the fear that i had in my life was never as great as performing um i i was people would say oh are you nervous going on stage i i would tell people i know i was nervous in life stage was uh like a hug it was a place i was actually allowed to be off kilter and maybe a little wrong maybe you know the rules were different up on stage than they were with how you interacted in 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 human form with real people um and so yeah it was it was uh i don't i don't get the nerves or the anxiety when i am challenging myself to do something new you know whether i'm in front of 300 people down the street or 20,000 people at Madison Square Garden. It honestly, I swear, it's the same easy feeling walking towards a stage. Walking off the stage toward the meet and greet is where I still get anxious. Yeah. Oh my God, just thinking of it right now is like, are they going to like me? I hope that I can <laughs> make a good impression on, you know, 20 people in a meet and greet. You see my breathing already. It gets a little, um, is, is uh, more of a hardship than performing <laughs> ever would be. Wow. People don't understand that about comics. The other night, I had a show I put together, and a girlfriend of mine who's not in comedy, she came backstage, and she's like, man, comics are so quiet. <laughs> yeah. We all know that. We work in comedy, but it's true. It's like a lot of, like, I have a girlfriend of mine. She was at the Boston, was it Boston Improv? Laugh Boston. And she was so tired that night. And I said, listen, you're going to get energy as soon as you get on that stage. Those, that crowd's going to give you life. She was real down that day. And it was mm. true. Boom. It was like, it was a shift. And then she sure. was so mentally exhausted when she got off and dealing with the, just like you said, the yeah. meet and greet and hey, hey, oh my God. Right. All that stuff. So, well, and so much more goes into the comic. career of comedy today. Cause now, uh, you know, podcasting and being, you know, I built my career off of uh, meet and greets and pushing myself through that to, to to shake hands in the politics of getting elected as a comedian that people like. It took a long time. It's nice to see now that that's what everybody is embraced. You know, that's uh, it's a 24 hour business and not just turning it on at night anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't think of you as socially awkward. Well, not socially awkward as I you know, as I got into my 30s and I was starting to feel really, you know, comfortable, that transition on and off stage was becoming less of a 
having to turn something on because I, I, you know, just the repetition of it and the comfortability of it. But I still liked just talking to people through the internet for all those years because I didn't have the anxiety there. And I could talk to thousands of people and I would, I I just I would talk to people all day and send links to every single person. On MySpace or what? AOL Instant Messenger, MySpace. (laughs) I had a thing where you could text me early on. Like I didn't have friends that I talked to as much as like constant interaction with fans. And I was also gleaning a lot of information about how I was being received because, you know, when you open yourself up to people, good or bad, they're going to tell you what they really think. You know, people would come up, oh, I didn't like that thing you did as much. That's why are you saying that? And I could, it thickened my skin in a way that really helped me just completely away from the anxiety of a person. Just as a, what we need in this industry as performers is we have to take the criticism. We have to take that maybe it's not always our time in this moment that we want it and that there's something rubbing up against us that we need to speak to. So it's a fascinating study of comic to comic, how we deal with what this all means. People can be incredibly shitty. Like I remember years ago, there was a moment where for whatever reason, you became like the popular punching bag almost for I'm sure people that have never met you. Like that would drive me fucking insane. (laughs) Well, it was... What was so hard about that was, imagine this, I was that kid who was afraid everybody was going to hate me, and I hated myself. Now I'd earned all this self-appreciation, um, I'd built myself up, and then I hit the wave of a career where you get the backlash. And that, we we can name names, we've seen it with other people now that we've watched and are being touted, and then they want to take the legs out from under you. So... That was almost like, um, that knocked me down in a way that was like, oh, I, I didn't learn everything. I, I don't, I haven't had all the right steps taken to really feel the self-love that I thought I had. A lot of it at that point, 12, you know, 13, 14 years ago is like, no, my success is protecting me from a lot of bullshit. Because it's intimidating when you, you know, oh, my success is keeping people that would harm me at bay because I'm untouchable, quote unquote. But that, that's, you know, hullabaloo. That's nothing. That, that cloak goes away and finally you're like, oh man, okay, no, I'm, I'm, there's other stuff that I need to grow up and learn. It's got to be strange because I think very few people in the history of humanity, just because of where we are now with technology and everything, have the experience of having people that they've never, ever met talk shit about just talking mm. or just fucking like weird it's just a weird time to like have all these people just have the access to you right right it is or strange just like whether you like whether you like it or not they're just talking at you yeah it, well there was at, at that point when it before the kind of backlash that was inevitable and was gonna happen and, and i would tell my family and my fans like trust me i'm gonna go through the spanking machine at some point i've read every memoir i have heroes that i've met with and I get it. I get it. And I knew I was bound to have that moment. Nobody stays on top forever kind of thing. We try. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I can yeah. if I can surf this wave till I'm 80, maybe that'll uh, be that'll be good for me, but the realistic nature of it is even the capsizing moments in life are wonderful if you can really just allow it to all permeate into how you give back to people or in your performance. There isn't a moment of backlash, and I've heard a lot of shit. I've taken a lot. Good. It's prepared me for where I'm at today. 
It it makes me love deeper, appreciate more. Now I can mentor, you know, artists, comedians, and I don't come at them with some bullshit. I come at you with straight truth about, hey, you know, this is what it means to be a performer is like sometimes you're a target or sometimes you're lauded, you know, and it, none of it really matters because it'll come and go and it will, it could shift, you know, who knows how many times, the tides of it. But if you are happy with your life where you're at as a person, as a performer, then you can get, you can get through those things. I think that's a really great perspective for people to hear. And something that other people might not know about you is that, uh, I'm a ribbon dancer. Yes. Is that what we're segueing into? Oh, okay. I was going to go with loss loss of, loss of parents, but I can see how ribbon dancing and and loss of parents are right up there. And we Um, also, for another project, interviewed Jeff Ross, who also lost, lost both his parents and both you are, are just really, really generous with other folks. And it sounds like it might partially be because of that experience. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you lose, especially for me, it's like, I was so close with my mom and I'd gotten very close with my dad, which took a lot of years. It's kind of like that typical father son journey, seemingly that, you know, the cats in the cradle of it all that you need to, but to, to lose your, it's a very strange final gift my, my mom and dad gave me with, you know, passing away when I was 35 and she was 63, he was 72. It gave me an empathy that it just, it changed how I interact with people in terms of like when they're dealing with cancer or loss or, you know, strife. I understood strife. I really did. I, I know I just received something last night from somebody that was so... Um, hardcore and I wrote this girl back and I said um I understand her mom had had passed away of cancer very recently long battle with it not a good battle and uh, I said I understand the impossible nature of this conversation it's impossible you know when you love somebody like that and you watch them wither and 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 go and so that gift of empathy strangely that my mom and dad gave me two two very different kinds of people two very different experiences the way they passed, but two beautiful life-affirming moments given by both of them when they did pass that I now can help my friends and people that are dealing with. I can make you laugh or I can sit and listen and I get it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Not very funny, but... (laughs) (laughs) Could we just put fake uh, laughter and applause in at the strangest places? That'd be great if just right there you hear like the the old Three's Company laugh track, the woman... (laughs) I remember that woman's laugh in the background. I think they use the same laugh track every like fourth episode because I'd be like, that's the lady. I always hear that one laugh in the back. When um, Sometimes when um, taping stand-up... Um, you can hear my laugh in the back of the house, which yes. is why I stopped. Yeah, it's like the Wilhelm I scream. Doing it. I stopped oh. doing it because I just I like to start a laugh, you know. So I just start. Like, yes. Or I start clapping or just. Yes. But then sometimes I'll swear if the comic um, messes up the joke, and I'll say "fuck," <laughs> and then they, and then they have to edit that out. That's happened twice, or I just say oh, "damn man. it." Because they screw up. Oh, that's hilarious. So I, I've, I've banned myself yes. from being um, in the back yeah. of the house. And I just say, you know, I'm just going to be in control room. You have reviewing uh, Tourette's, we'll call that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'll know the set by heart, you know, like the back, you know, back of my head. Yes. Those sets, when I would do late night stuff coming up, were the hardest because I like to go freestyle. 
And I don't like to plan my sets ever. You know, I've never written anything down in 29 years. I didn't know that. I've never written anything. Really? No. Even Lil Wayne. Just not. <laughs> Somebody said that. It's like <laughs> you and Jay-Z. Somebody yeah. said Jay-Z's never. He goes in the booth and he notebooks? just. notebooks? So what do you do? Just record yourself? Or yeah, I have, have early, I have early notebooks of like chicken scratch like ideas. But for the last, man, since like 2002, I've I've never written anything down. Oh my God. It's all up there. What? It's all I, but you I know. Recorded when you're on stage, do you record your stand up? Mm, very little, unless I'm preparing for like a a show and I want to just hear the I don't know the timing of it or the wordiness of it. Uh, but no, never never wrote anything down. Don't write anything down. And when I would do shows like that, when I would do Letterman, I, it was hard because they'd be like, "These are the five bits that you know we want you to do," and I always had. Uh, like something I'd sneak, you know, sneak in there that I was like, okay, I don't know if I'll get in any trouble for yeah. this, but, and I, and I needed that, that because again, every performer different for me, I feel so false if it's, um, formulaic, which is weird because that, I mean, it's something I should probably, you know, my yearly challenge because I don't say things the same way on any given night. I, I always make it a conversation where I, a sentence might be a little longer or shorter on one night because I'm just feeling like going going deeper on that. So it made late night sets very tricky for me at first because I was like, oh man, I got to stick to the six minutes exactly. The, the temptation for me to say something horrible would be overwhelming if I was on some sort of network television. It would yeah. be like three, two, one. What's the most self-destructive yeah. thing that could come uh, flying out of my mouth? I've, uh, I, I don't know what you would even call it, but I've always had the... The, the wherewithal to uh, in moments of pressurized situations to elevate something in my performance and I can rarely look at something and go you know what I went out there and I, I made an ass of myself you know I, I I'm, I'm pretty I'm lucky that I haven't uh, foot and mouth disease is that what they call it yeah, yeah I've got a good track record of of uh, not doing that <laughs> yeah Adam he's not an ass okay <laughs> no, I mean I was gonna say more probably like just like decades of practice and preparation and discipline but you can go with not an ass yeah. as well. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> so I found you're directing a, a film that's coming out soon that looks fascinating that I can find nothing on other than yeah. the title and yeah. your co-star. Oh, wow. Well, we haven't released it. Um, we just got in our first film festival. Um, it's called American Typecast. About a year and a half ago, I was with a friend of mine. Uh, his name's uh, Modib Abhat. And he's been a working actor out here for a few years. And he was sharing with me what it's like to be Middle Eastern in Hollywood. And a lot of the stories were like, I'm going up for another terrorist. I'm going up. I'm the guy that blows himself up. I'm the guy that the killer. And we started just talking about what his, you know, kind of weekly routine is in, in some of the roles that, you know, NCIS. Now, tonight I'm blowing a helicopter up. I'm only in it <laughs> for three frames. And so we developed a story around it. Um what was so uh, wonderful about the process and directing it and co-writing it was is it was so different from me. It wasn't my experience, um, which is really gratifying away from stand-up, which is all about me and what I want to do and say to to be telling uh, Monib's story. Um, and we were fortunate enough to get into the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. It's the first one we've gotten into. We had our debut a couple of weeks ago, sat for the first time in front of a crowd with a movie I had directed. Wow. And uh, it was, it, we, we closed it out, which I knew was a good sign. They're like, we're going to put you last. I was like, oh, I'm headlining. Good. Okay. I, that's a good spot for me. And uh, we closed it out to a plum. And we're really excited to hopefully take it out and make a show out of it. You know, we have a series idea and it's just, 
directing and writing and um, doing things away from stand up is uh, it it uh, it feeds me in a very different way than stand up because I the collaborative nature goes all the way back to being a kid and feeling uh, so left out that now when I'm collaborating it's it's not just about the creativity it's literally about the human emotional caring and contact to work with people that have greater gifts than I do in their detail or whatever they're hired to do on the production and I I have a lot of respect that I can for them that I can also um, commiserate with people in that way that you know I couldn't for many many years so it's cool it's on many fronts I can only imagine that directing just from my limited exposure to it is phenomenally difficult. Talking about a job where you have to mentally juggle. Yeah. Just any- well, you have to be enthusiastic for everybody who has a question. You know, even though you're feeling a little run down, I'm sure you deal with that as well. It's like you're, you, every single person comes out, hey, I have a lighting question. Oh, yeah. Hey, where should we put the – the couch doesn't fit in here. And you have to – you can't be d- dismissive even if you're feeling frustrated or uh, encumbered by a moment. But I, I like that. In all the years of stand-up and being kind of on and having to be professional for that hour and a half that I was on stage, it gave me the energy to be able to do that and hopefully wow. give back to, to everybody. And I'm, I'm an actor's director, which means I actually like to – I'll go up to the background actors and I want to give them motivation. I want to talk to them why you matter in the scene. So I, I, I put out a lot of – a lot of energy when I'm when I'm directing or producing something. So now we're prepping the next film, which I'm writing. It's a full length, and uh, it'll be my first full length film. I've got a financier, and I'm going to be acting and directing myself, which is really cool. Congratulations! Wow. That's it's exciting. Yeah, it's just so vastly different from stand up, and in some ways, kind of like it's it's like starting over because i'm i'm just a newbie in terms of directing and and how i'm known in that world so it gives me something to rebuild as i'm doing all the the comedy emerging again in the comedy world i just rewatched uh, windy city heat the other day so oh my god your, your, yes your early acting i line. love it it's so it's so brutally brutally funny and Do, you're, you're, don't you think that the you know the scene red red bat blue bat mm mm-hmm. mhm I'm not in that scene. I think it's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. It's so yeah. funny because it was real. And if you know the movie, it's it's it, it, we basically, it was almost like one long prank on this one guy who didn't know that he was in a movie. It was hidden camera stuff. and But Windy City Heat, wow. When you say that, it brings me back. What a, what a great experience. I stopped drinking as much. I used to drink a lot. Yeah. I don't drink as much anymore. So when I go to comedy shows, sometimes I won't, drink and it's a lot different experience seeing comedy completely sober is it as opposed to three drinks i know. wouldn't know I'm, you know why would you, you don't don't drink? Know, I, no no I, I don't think i've seen a comedy show sober in the- oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well i've only seen them sober because i've never i've never had a drink that's I'm, amazing i've never, never had i've never had a drink in my entire life i've never no. had a drink or a drug in my whole life never fact i think the only yes. other person i remember saying that's pendulette yeah, somebody recently was like, Do you drink oh, caffeine? Mm, one, like if I'm having a burger once in a while, like a, a, a soda. Are you Mormon? No. No. <laughs> I'm not straight edge. People always want to know, are you straight edge? Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, definitely don't uh, fall into that category. I just, I think, it, you know, it, kind of keeping it in, in, in the theme of what we're talking about, a lot of, I just never wanted 
to put anything in my body, maybe witnessing my dad drinking too. He was such a smart guy. He was a brilliant man. He was a BC graduate. He had all this ability. And I can't remember how many times my mom would say he just gets in his own way, gets in his own way. So I think I saw that and was like, okay, what would it like be like if I didn't need to depend on any of that? So it started off as a bit of a challenge as my friends were drinking, you know, behind the school in the woods. And then it turned into just a genuine non-interest in feeling like I needed to have something to feel differently. I like to feel feelings, even if they hurt, because I feel like I can bring it to performance at some point because I really let myself be absolved in it in that in that moment. Well, I mean, that's pretty fantastic because a lot of kids that do experience anxiety, they'll, they'll lean on uh, yes. drugs or alcohol and it just makes things exponentially worse. Yeah. I, I You know, it's uh, it's easier to say than do, but, you know, I try to, when I'm talking again, talking to young people or, you know, I'll, I'll get uh, DMs sometimes, you know, randomly from somebody who's, you know, much younger and kind of funny, like somebody just wrote me, just discovering my stand-up, you know, 15 years old, just hearing my first, you know, release and talking to this person. And, and uh, I always just try to impart that uh, it's important to get, you know, Idle Mind is a Devil's Workshop. And that's kind of the beginning of like, if if that idle mind and you start ruminating to the point of self-defeatist, well, of course you want to drink or get, get a high or a dopamine fix from somewhere else. But if you can get ahead of that and just start partaking in things that you love or are interested in, then I don't believe those other dependencies are as... Um, or is they're more nominal because you know you, you you know that you can be happy so i it took me a little bit and i was doing that and my friends luckily never peer pressured me but i i do remember when i was like 21 22 and i could drink legally feeling like oh i i just i'm not interested in that that's awesome yeah i've never had an interest in that i i do sometimes when i'll hear like certain you know podcasts or people hallucinogenics like i have such a great imagination and i love you know, the idea of just opening my mind in that way. But it's it's the only thing I ever think about and go like, oh, those are a little different. Especially in LA, I feel like that's a whole thing. That's a whole culture mm-hmm. now. Yeah. You can get a guide. I'd say there might be a responsible way to, to do those a things. A guide, like a shaman? Yeah. Or you think shamans and life like, are just like uh, failed actors? Or... <laughs> yeah, seriously, I've been, yeah. I, 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 would, I would venture to think that a lot of that is factual. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you become a shaman? I want to know how all these people I don't know. decide that they're shamans. How do you become shamans? an agent in Hollywood? Is there That's a school that you go to for that as well? <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, oh, I graduated from agent school. You just right. have to morally debase yourself again and again until, yeah. you're, until you're let in. But, oh, my God. Uh, remember, last time we spoke, you, you had some kind of beautiful advice for younger folks who are kind of struggling to find themselves. I didn't realize until many, many years later that I was doing something called journaling. When I was like really young, I loved uh, poetry and I would write all these like, I just like rhyming and words and so I'd be writing all the time. And then as I, when I went to New York for the first time, I was in a, a depression. Um, you know, went from my mom's basement, the safety of home, to the first time in my life being like, I, I have to do this. I have to go here. I have to live here if I want to pursue this and I I found all these old journals and um, writing your feelings down you wouldn't think but it's a very very powerful way to understand yourself not only in hindsight but I think sometimes just I have certain letters that I remember 
how I felt when I wrote it and how good it felt to purge myself of some of the things that I had put down. And, and they're deeply, deeply, not only are they deeply personal, but they're uplifting. I have whole letters tear stained. I can still see where I was crying as writing on these letters from New York because I was so overwhelmed. And in the letters, you know, telling myself, you know, um, you're capable and, and I believe in you. And, but at the same time, a paragraph later, writing down the things that I thought were, um, uh, hurting myself or, you know, or, or, or taking myself off, you know, off of being, uh, in a positive space. So writing is a very, very key factor to regurgitating and getting out all the stuff that's spinning around inside your head. I have a confession. I went through my high school diary um, over Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and I tore up certain pages because it pained me so mm. much to read it. And I was like, oh, I just don't want this to be. Don't do that. Yeah, Save but them. I did. I just, I, I took a picture of it and I was like, you know what? I'm just taking out some of these pages and I'm ripping it up. I can't believe you kept. I, I, I can't even, I junk I all have that stuff. Journals. I can't deal with it. I have, I used to have a journal that I would share with my best friend at the time and we would, sh we would pass it during class, like yeah. passing notes. And it was, we were smart. It was a composition book. So people thought, teacher thought that we were just taking notes, but <laughs> yeah. we were just writing to each other. Oh, wow. You know, I remember there was someone I was dating who, and my, my friend, she wrote to me, she was just like, one day you'll meet someone who will appreciate you more than just your non-existent boobs. Cause I didn't have any breasts until later <laughs> stuff like that, you know, and stuff. I'm like, Oh, this is so painful that I, no, was, no, no. That I was so obsessed with certain things. And then there was like one guy I was obsessed. I was really into, and it turns out now he's gay and now it all makes sense. And I was like, <laughs> I wrote down his names yeah. like, like 30 times his name all over my notebook. Yes. And then now I looked him up on Instagram. Just he's a shaman now. Thinking about, he's not a shaman, <laughs> but he, is in a how, musical but okay. how do you he really know he's, was he public about the fact that he was out on his instagram page or is this just something uh, where you just no. skimmed it and were like no, no, gay no. he's no 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 he he is he's okay. very gay he's he always no, very, very gay. gay he's very oh. very i'm saying he's he's with a man and he okay. says you know i you know oh, love this guy. this is my I'm husband just, and... I'm not throwing my, no this is not a no i'm telling you okay i have evidence but it was just interesting. I was so obsessed. I wonder if anybody ever comes out as very gay. Very. He's very Mom, gay. Mom, dad. It sounds like my grandmother. What does that mean? It's like my yeah, grandmother. that's a good question. Okay, I'm sorry. Maybe that's not right. We'll take that out. No. Um, but it's like my grandmother. No, it sounds like something like that. Oh, he's very gay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it. My grandma from Jersey. Oh, he's very gay. What is that like Lakaja Fold style? Is it a theatrical marker? I really don't know what. I don't know, man. But... Anyway, but no journaling. I don't do that. Journaling, anymore. yeah. I, I I think that that's um, the the formative years of self help. You know, writing, writing down feelings and getting things off your chest. And I probably did the same thing and crumpled up a bunch and tossed it right after. But man, it feels really good to express yourself. Even better when you can then do it with people that really love and support and care about you, and you can do that for each other. You know. Remember do you still journal? I do. I I'm do. Sorry just to interrupt. Oh no, no, that's, that's just awesome. just differently. You know, some write down things down on my phone. You know, you know, little things that you know I want to I want to try to impart. Or, um, but I don't like do the long form handwritten stuff like I like I used to. I I do from time to time. Yeah, every couple of years I'll 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 write a long long letter and 
Um, but I don't do it as much as I would like to. I remember last time you, you referenced one letter in particular that maybe you wrote to yourself when you were 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, graduating high school. That was uh, Lucille Burt was my creative writing teacher and the the final assignment was to write a letter that she would keep for 10 years. You'd seal it and then get it from her. And uh, yeah, that, that letter was is one of my kind of prized possessions because like the, the time traveler in me, the, the, the part of me that has always felt like this whole stand-up comedy um, fountain of youth quality, I still feel like I'm 19, you know, 46, which is crazy, but I still feel a lot like the kid that started. Um, and I, I remember it played into this kind of like time traveling idea that I had of like seeing my life and having epiphany moments very young and, and then making those moments come to reality. Like I'd been there, you know, Madison square garden. I said I was going to do when I was 14, told my sister Kelly and I meant it. I said, I'm doing that. I've seen it. And so this time traveler kid in my mind, uh, wrote this note from 10 years in the future. And it was like on the money, all the things and me telling myself, you got to love yourself. You got to stop beating yourself up. There's going to be a girl that likes you someday. You know, you're, you're not the best looking guy, but you're ruggedly handsome. (laughs) Whatever I said to just try to give myself some juice, you know, and you know, reading that 10 years later and I still have it, uh, man, just, uh, Again, I would say if you can sit down and write some ideas down and get yourself honest with you, then then you're at the starting gate, you know, because you're present. Can't can't do anything. I, a lot of years I wasn't present. A lot of years when you talk about like around the backlash time, um, there was a good chunk of my career where I was looking so much into the future that I wasn't even enjoying what I was accomplishing then. Because I needed to get there now and prove that I'm good enough to be that or prove. And then there was a part of my life where I was just so stuck in the past and looking at the things that had done me harm or people that really had come after me once I was hitting uh, another level of superstardom, which I also didn't have a playbook for and didn't really know as a young man what all that entailed and meant and how it would impact my health. So all these all these things kept me from being present. It wasn't until about the last really 10 years. Um, I watched that Gary Shandling documentary. Yeah. And when I looked at that, it, it was like a, a validation because I, I understand that, that introspective element that he, it was so elegant the way they had presented that. And, I, and it spoke to me and I said, it, it actually reminded me, wow, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I'm here and I get to do it another day, but I'm just happy today. I've been happy today for a while. So if you're listening and you're not happy today, you need to figure out how to be happy today. If you can be a little happy today, then that might lead to a little more happiness tomorrow. So that's your goal. If we're talking about doing your homework, the challenge is find something that makes you happy today. If you can do that, you feel purpose, feel feel purpose, you're present. If you're present, you're open to what the universe can bring to you. Thank you, man. Yeah. Oh, great. That just gave me chills. Man. Oh, I love these conversations. I love talking shop and I love talking um, about poignant poignant things. That's like a sweet spot. Well, you said just uh, remind me of, uh, are you a Twin Peaks fan? Mm Mm-hmm. 
You know that quote where he's like, every day just give yourself a little present? Yeah. Yeah. Like a gift every day? Sure. I always think about that on like hard days. I'm like, what's my gift going to be today? His gift wasn't like killing Laura Palmer. (laughs) You don't want to encourage people to kill women. Get out of. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, Adam is an ass. I love you you guys together. I like this dichotomy that's happening here. It's like brother and sister. It really works. Anyway, so yeah, shout out to Chopper, getting yeah. groomed, and uh, he's a he's a great friend. He's three years old, and um, I love him. He's a, he's a, he's a good dog. Where did you uh, where did you get him? Do you remember? Yeah, he was actually uh, at a kill shelter, and with his siblings. So I saved him, and then we put the brothers and sisters on Facebook, and we got homes for all of them. Well, that's and we awesome. all send that's pictures nice. once in a while. And I have to say this, and I'm sorry, you know, again, I speak from the heart. Chopper is the best looking of the entire lot. He is a handsome, a handsome he's, fellow. He's handsome. He's yeah. the only one who's kept his coat color, too. He's got like a little mix, but they're all white. They all got really white, and Chopper's like, he's still kind of golden brown, which is cool. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I, I love the rescue stuff, actually. One of my last uh, quote-unquote jobs, because I take random jobs still, because I'm a crazy person. <laughs> so I'll get paid very small amounts of money to do things like wear a body cam and go into pet stores, because now it's supposed to be illegal to sell dogs that aren't rescue dogs. Right. But what they're doing is they're just creating fake... Um, quote unquote rescues and they're pumping in purebred dogs so yeah i was there trying to angle my my fat stomach and my body camera at like the purebred three-week-old shih tzu and be like really i don't think this is a yeah so but it's wonderful to hear about the animals i know for me my cats as embarrassing as it say out loud sometimes like yeah that's that's another reason to stay alive for now is cats cats are i i can't be around cats because of the dander thing yeah but there i did have an abyssinian breed which doesn't have the dander and it was one of the best pets i ever had i love that cat 